Right. Good evening, everybody. If you can't hear me, let me know. <laughs> All right. This my, my absolute favorite thing to do short of meeting with people, speaking with him right there. Because that's the whole point. The entire point of it of all of this is him. It's being with him, which we get to be in a very particular way when he is exposed in the sacred host. It's actually him present to us. So tonight's topic is freedom in Christ. I don't remember doing this one last year. I don't remember ever doing it, but we're going to see how it goes. This is also a favorite topic of mine is freedom because I had no idea what freedom was in my life before. I had mentioned this morning that there was a point in time where I just wanted to end it all because it just was painful and there didn't seem to be any point. That's bondage. When it's so bad that you just don't see any light, you don't see any hope, and not even you don't, you can't, right? Like it got so bad for me that people wouldn't even try to point it out anymore. They're just like, whatever, go drown in your misery, Matt. <laughs> you know, like you're a black hole and you're going to suck me in. Like that's just how it was. And that's what Satan seeks to do. See, bondage is a little taste of hell. Do we know what heaven and hell is real quick? Everybody's going to end up before Jesus someday. The question is, are you in relationship with him or are you not in relationship with him? That's the question. Because God is the fulfillment of every single desire that we have. Every desire. Now he chooses to fill these desires through food clean air, a friend, a spouse, whatever they may be. But in the end, God is the fundamental desire. Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights is proof of that. I'm not a doctor, but I don't think you can go much longer than three or four, maybe five days without water before you die. He went 40. To show us that literally everything there is is dependent upon him. He supersedes everything if he chooses to. And for the child of God, he does. Jesus is the perfect child of God. Totally dependent, totally trusting, as I described earlier with a little, little kid. Doesn't even question, think, fathom. He just, woo. If you, I don't know if y'all have these outlines. I have an outline I'm working off of. And the number one says freedom in Christ both releases us and propels us forward. Freedom is the experience. The experience of gaining freedom is often described as a feeling such as feeling taller or lighter or like a weight is lifted. Right? We're set free from sin, from evil, from the law, from bondage or slavery or fear. And the whole point of being free, set free, is for freedom. God is completely free, right? 
He's free of everything. He doesn't need anything to subsist. He doesn't need creation. He doesn't need anything. He just is. I am who I am. Right? Jesus was the same way. Think about it. He didn't need you to act right to be okay. He doesn't need me to be act right to be okay. He doesn't need the Pharisees to act right for him to be okay. He doesn't need his mother to get it. He doesn't need anything except for his father. Now this flies in the face of everything we know about the natural person. It flies in the face of psychology. It flies in the face of biology. It flies in the face of everything the world has produced to try to make sense out of the sensible world. Because God is beyond all of that. And he's calling us to that. Because one day all of this fallenness, brokenness will fall away. And all we'll be left with is a creation that is totally imbued with him. Face to face in his presence, no more veil, no more valley of tears, as the prayer says. Right? What heaven is, is relationship. It's the fulfillment of those desires. And those desires are only fulfilled in relationship. In relationship with him and in relationship with others. It's a relationship of love. So when all of this falls away and I've been living my life for him in relationship with him, catching the little graces here and there, when the veil gets pulled up a bit, a bit more sometimes, a bit less other times, consolations, right? And I've been hanging on to those, enduring the dark patches, enduring the difficulties patiently, faithfully, basking when those, the veils ripped open again today, enduring the other times, loving all the while. Eventually, when I shed this tent, I'll be face to face with him. And all those little windows of grace that I've seen will be blown completely open and that's all there will be. And the very thing that's been leading me along the whole time, I'll have completely face to face and I won't need anything else. Then he'll restore all creation again, recreate a new heavens, new earth, everything. Hell on the other hand, is twisting and spinning and loneliness and isolation and nothingness, right? Constantly trying to get our needs met here, constantly trying to feed ourselves whatever it is through earthly means, never eating enough, right? Drinking too much, buying too much, I don't know, trying to manage and control too much, whatever your thing is judging too much, people are less than me or better than me or whatever, you know, there's so many things there that we end up twisting in ourselves, twisting in the wind, right? And in the end, we're never fulfilled. Nothing fulfills us, no matter how hard we grasp, no matter how hard we try. And then the person who dies that way, finally, that's gone. <laughs> 
and they're face to face with God, but they can't have him. Imagine that you're in a desert, you're perishing from thirst, you're dehydrated, like you would claw somebody's eyeballs out for that glass of water, but you can't have it. You know how much pain that would be? I couldn't even imagine. I drink so much water. <laughs> That's what hell is. Everybody's in his presence. It's just one gets the fulfillment of their desire. The other one does not. And it's horrible and it's burning. Freedom is that relationship. See, what intimacy, what communion is with the Lord is a taste of that heaven now. Because what Jesus came to do was bring the kingdom to us. The reason he incarnated was to bring the kingdom. And everything that goes with it. The healings are a sign, not the end. The deliverances are a sign, not the end. The end is intimacy. Communion or, uh, healing and deliverance facilitate that. Right. What is freedom? Freedom is knowing the love of God. Knowing, knowing in the biblical sense is always relational. Adam knew Eve, right? We have to know him. Knowledge is relational. It's the two becoming one. I could read a book about my wife all day long and never know anything about her actually. There's a lot of Christians like that. They're very well studied. They know a lot. I give spiritual direction at a Catholic university. That's the biggest struggle up there. You ever seen those people who weightlift and they're like hulks and they have little toothpick legs? They're wondering how they even stay upright. Yes, there are many intellectuals like that that are very smart, but the rest of them's atrophied. Right? Then you get the perfect, the, the amazing ones, the Augustans the Chrysostoms, the Aquinases, once he finally chucks his book, who get it. They not only know the truth, they're brilliant and they're formed, but they know the truth, the core of who they are. And their words are like nectar. There's heaven to read. They touch the heart, they affect the soul, right? Freedom is knowing God. It's knowing his love. But the thing about love is love is free. It's always free. I don't understand the problem of evil personally. I never have. There's books written on the problem of evil and people have philosophized about it. I don't even know for how long. I don't understand the problem at all. God transcends good and bad. It's all fodder for him to mold and shape and us into who he wants us to be. That's it. And we have freedom and to have love, you have to have freedom. One of the things that always comes to mind and it was the actual proof to me in my own prayer that convinced me of Catholicism over Protestantism that I used to be a part of, I'm a convert. 
I always had a problem with the once saved, always saved thing. There was just something about it that really got me and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I was praying one day and this is what came to mind. Say there's a harlot living out on the street and this man comes along and he's wealthy. He has more money than anybody. He's, Jeff Bezos has got nothing on him, right? Like he's got it all. He's got his own little continent to himself. He says, hey, I like you. You want to come live with me? Yeah, sure. Goes and lives with him. Hangs around for a while. Maybe doesn't like it so much. Maybe it's uncomfortable in some ways. They're like, hey, I'm out of here. Nope. You can't go anywhere. You're mine now. That's not freedom. That's slavery. That's being a possession. God gives us complete freedom to come and go. My son, my sons and my daughters can never not be my sons and my daughters. But they can sure choose whether they're in relationship with me or not. They can sure choose whether they're here. And I have that same choice. At night, my wife has these two books that we do these questions from one for her and I, and then the other one's for the kids. It's meant to facilitate conversation, whatever. It's pretty cool, actually. We learn a lot about each other. Well, half the time, my eight-year-old doesn't want to answer them. He's just like, nope. Right? And then comes the choice. Do we turn this into a painful task for him and make him share? Or do we let him not? Well, I can tell you it's one experience when we have in the past pressured him to share versus when he just chooses willingly to share because he wants to share something of who he is. It's a whole different experience. One is out of fear and out of pressure. The other one is out of freedom. And out of that freedom connection actually happens. That's what love is. It's free. God wants us to choose him because we believe that he is better and higher and more above anything else. Right? That's the real test of the dispensation, isn't it? Hmm, I don't have to go anymore on Sundays. Do I choose to? Guilty. <laughs> I've stayed home a few Sundays. You know why? Because I have four little kids and it's a pain in the butt to go to mass. Right? But that's where it really comes into play. I have the freedom to choose now. Now my heart gets exposed. Right? The saint is the one who just chooses because they love and they want to be with and they adore and they want to be present to but freedom is knowing this love of God. It's freely choosing to allow him to love us. It's knowing that God has always loved you from the beginning. Freedom is when we believe what the scriptures and the church has always taught. That in the beginning, he created you and he made you good. And whatever the empty cups in your life did have nothing to do with that truth. 
If somebody hurts you, it has nothing to do with that truth. If your parents left, it had nothing to do with that truth. If your parents forgot about you, beat you, kicked you out, or did any number of most heinous things absolutely possible, it has nothing to do with the truth that God created you, you're good, and he loves you. It's knowing that he always loved us. It's knowing that God treasures us. I'm hopefully going to be done with diapers here soon. I'm praying. We'll see. God may have other plans. There are times where I love my children so much, I'm just excited to change their little diapers. That was number two. The second kid, in other words. First one was terrifying. Second one was cute. And they just get more and more difficult from their change of diapers and stuff, I think. I just wanted to, because I love them so much. I want them to be comfortable and cozy, right? That's how God feels about us, no matter what, no matter our diapers. He's not, a, he's not someone who just puts up with us because, oh my God, you're so stinky. He's not like that. He sees us for who we were created to be, and he loves us and adores us. He has always treasured us. This can be hard when we've had hard experiences in our life. Very briefly, my sister's seven years, seven years older than me. I came when she was seven years old. My family fell apart at three. We lived with my mom who was crazy till I was five, severely bipolar with schizophrenic tendencies. She partied all the time, took us into situations that were very unhealthy. The only reason I wasn't abused worse than I was is because of God's grace. Eventually, she decided she was moving to Omaha because we were holding her back and she needed actual opportunities for work and for everything else. My dad says, don't do it. You're making a horrible decision. She does it anyway. We live with my dad. My dad was born in 1940, a very hard man. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get that crap done. No excuses, no nothing has no patience whatsoever, makes my sister the stay-at-home mom. She hates me because I destroyed her family, or at least that's what a seven-year-old thinks, right? So I walk on eggshells my entire life. I'm in an environment where I'm terrified, where nobody looks at me, nobody spends time with me, nobody likes me. I end up in drugs because it's the only thing I can do to make myself feel better and to get through life is the tool I chose. I stole stuff. I went to treatment four times. I slit my own throat. I wound up in a mental hospital. I went to jail a couple times. I'm surprised the diocese ever even contemplated hiring me. And they know all this, right? I can look back on that, which I did for many years. Like for real, dude, you treasured me all along. You treasured me all along and you gave me that garbage. You knew X, Y, and Z was gonna happen, but you treasured me. That's where I was at for a long, long time. And it's very easy to be there. When our mind is shaped as the world is and not as God sees the world, it's very easy to be there. What happens when freedom comes and we know the love of God, he begins to enter into every situation of our life, every memory, everything, and starts shifting our perspective on it. He starts helping us to see it from his perspective. 
what he was doing the whole time. Do we think Jesus's life was easy? Well, sure, he was God. Oh, good Lord. We have a lot to learn. He emptied himself, Philippians 2, to become like one of us. What does that mean? He lived as a man. He wasn't six years old healing people. There was an Anne Rice novel that basically put that plot forward once she went from vampires back to Christianity. Right? He's like raising birds from the dead, doing tricks, parlor tricks for kids and all kinds of stuff, right? No, none of that came, none of that power that we associate with God came until his baptism. That's why we don't see him doing anything until he's driven out. He knew he was of God because he was in unbroken intimacy with him, but he grew in wisdom and stature among men. He grew in his knowledge and understanding of who he was. He lived by faith. And every time he took a step in faith, God came through and solidified that in his heart as the truth. His mom was considered a harlot. His dad died somewhere in there. Nobody understood the dude. Nobody. Nobody understood him. Everybody used him once they did figure out he had power. Oh my gosh. Then his best friends just want to be on his right and on his left. Nobody understands him. His friends die. Then his sister blames him. If you would have been here sooner. Right? Like the dude catches it all. He experiences the reality of fallen life. Right? Why? So he could enter into the pain that we all have. He entered into death. And here's the greatest pain of all. Somehow... God, who has known and been with God all along from all eternity, who's begotten of the Father, somehow, for however long on that cross, didn't experience the communion. Father, why have you forsaken me? The communion was there. But somehow he didn't feel it like he always had from all eternity. Think about that for a minute. That is the greatest pain of the Son of God. Why? So he could be with us in it. As much as I hate my life experience and what happened to me and the, the deal I was given in life, it was all for this. Because I went down certain drains, I went down certain holes and I experienced so many unrelated, freakishly weird things in my life. Do you know how many people I'm able to help? All that pain I endured, when it comes to God and God enters into it, it creates a deep wellspring of grace that he gets to use to transform people's lives in the world. He treasured me all along. I knew great pain and now I know great intimacy. He who's been forgiven much loves much, right? God treasures every single one of us and he has our life planned out. The question is, is do we believe it? Because when we do and we know this truth, we begin to belong to God and we start to taste freedom.
Freedom is belonging to God as a child. It's recognizing he's always here and present with us. We're never alone. It's recognizing that my life has purpose, even if I don't know what it is. It's knowing you belong to God and the human family. See, the more I allow God into my life, the more I connect with you. I said this morning that when I came to the church, it was very difficult. I felt alone. I felt like there was a lot of masks, facades, yada, 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 all that, which is partially true. But starting with that priest who I opened my heart to, you know what I started to do after that? Open it here and here and here and here and here. And you know what I started to find is, oh my gosh, there were other people who felt the exact same way I do. Like they couldn't actually be who they were. Then my wife got a brain tumor a year and a half ago, had to have surgery. I had to be off work for a month. I didn't have PTO yet, right? I was before six months when that came. A key person in the church paid my month's salary for me so I could stay home and my insurance. And in that time where I was so in need because my wife had brain surgery, I had no idea what was happening. I couldn't, there was nothing I could do as best powerless as I could feel. The church became more my family that month than my own family ever was. Because I took the step with that priest to open my heart and then start to do it with other people. So now I know I belong to God and to a human family. This one, as jacked up as it is. I went and talked to a priest in Omaha for deliverance one day. I was sent there by my spiritual director. And I was complaining about the state of the church, right? Which is so easy to do. And he was like, hey, Matt. He's like, you know those people that wish it was 1950s Catholicism all over again? I was like, oh, yeah, I know a lot of those people. I'm not one of them. I don't want that, right? He's like, well, don't be one then. It's like, what do you mean? He's like, Jesus is here in the church today, Matt. Not in the 1950s, not the way you want it. He's here right now in this situation, living and loving. Freedom is knowing that it's belonging. It's life in the son of God. It's when we begin to identify with our Lord Jesus. This is when the sacramental life really comes to life, the liturgical year. The whole point of this is to enter into his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Day by day, week by week, throughout the year. When we start to connect with him and we start to read the scriptures and devour the readings, all of a sudden we start to get drawn into that. We may find our season, mine's Advent personally, I'm a very depressing, melancholic person, so I love the tones. Lent's my second, but it's a little harsh, right? I don't like that much pain. But we find our place there. Our stories or our memories of good and bad can keep us bound. This is, if there's one thing you get from this, it's this, our stories and memories of good and bad from our past can keep us bound. 
We're all a part of a story. I have a story, you have a story, and there's a bigger story here. And there's a bunch of other stories. There's, I don't know, 20 stories in this room, probably I'm not counting y'all right now. 20 different stories here. And somehow each one of our little subplots fits into the bigger plot. We perceive and identify ourselves through our story, through the narrative of our life. When something changes for us, we have a, it has a ripple effect in our narrative. It affects it. In the beginning, that makes it difficult to change because I may have an encounter with the Lord, but my narrative is I don't have a lived experience of being loved. As a sidebar, the only way you feel loved is if you have a lived experience of it. So if my spouse does not love me, boom, 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 concretely in reality, well, 10 years down the line, I'll be like, well, yeah, you say you love me, but you don't. You have to have a lived experience of being loved to feel loved. Well, the hard part about conversion or, or change in the beginning is that I've got this whole narrative that at least my perspective on it is that I've never been loved, right? Then you get one drop of love in there. Bloop. It's really easy for that drop to get lost in the morass of black and dark. But the more drops you get, the more experiences you get, eventually you hit a tipping point. And my narrative becomes I'm loved because my lived experiences of it are more now and enough to convince me. But we have to be careful of what circles around in our minds. If we want freedom, freedom is stillness, right? It's not the thoughts constantly coming up around us. It's not the chaos in between our ears. It's not the getting locked in the rabbit wheel of thinking about certain events and things that have happened or are going to happen or are happening. That's not freedom. That's when we get tired and just, uh, right? We perceive ourselves through these different things. Let me give you an example. When I was young, I used to play, I, like I said, I was raised by my father. So it was in the 80s and I was raised with ninja stars and swords. Real ones, not toys, plastic, real, metal, sharp, right? I loved it. I would never do it for my kids now. Well, we used to have railroad ties out back by our deck and I'd always throw the ninja stars out there and throw them into the railroad ties. I'd take caps, you know, from cap guns and hammer them and just, I had a lot of fun back then. I'd throw them in there all the time. Well, I had these neighbors on the other side of the duplex because we lived in the duplex and there was two junior high girls and a high school boy. They're all brother, a brother and two sisters. Well, the girls used to harass me all the time. They'd bully me. They'd tell me I was dumb. They'd whatever other little stuff kids say, right? Young people say, harass me constantly. Well, I got tired of it one day and I took one of them ninja stars and I went, bing, chucked it in one of the girl's backs and stuck in her back, which sounds worse than what it was, right? It's stuck in a little bit, but it's stuck enough that she's blah, running around, flailing around, bounced around and falls out, right? She runs in and goes home. I'm like, think about it for a second. And I'm like, oh bleep, probably shouldn't have done that, right? So my intuition told me, Matt, get up on the shed out of reach. And so I did, and I'm really glad I did because brother came out who was 16, 17 at the time with a metal pipe. 
And he started like beating the shed, trying to get me. And he was legit mad. Like it was not a joke. It was not a show. He was not happy. Right. He leaves, goes inside, whatever. I wait for, I don't know how long until I had the courage to jump down and go scamper inside. Finally go, go inside. It was a split level. So you walk in, the door to the garage is right here to the right. Up the stairs is, of course, my dad's lazy boy, right at the top where he could watch TV, and then downstairs the basement. I walk in. He just looks at me from the lazy boy, gets up quietly, which I knew meant really, really bad things. Because he was completely calm, which he never was. And he just walked downstairs. He opened the door to the garage. He ushered me into the garage, flipped the light on, and shut the door. And who was in there waiting for me? The guy from next door, right? He didn't hurt me, but he sure scared me. He really scared me. For the longest time when I thought about that memory, I was angry with my father, very angry with my father. Remember the story I told you earlier about God giving us over to our choices? There was a day when I was praying through that memory because it kept coming up and bothering me. And now it's my fond one of my fondest memories of my dad because he fathered me like God that day. Here's me in the back having a problem with somebody. Here's these girls having a problem with somebody. Now they started the problem and I ended it, but either way, we're both having a problem. I went and tried to handle the problem myself. The girls went to their protector to have the problem handled. Right? I didn't trust that I could go say, hey, dad, I'm being bullied, this, that, and the other. Now, whether that's my problem or his is moot. I didn't go to him. And what did my dad do? Oh, you can handle that yourself, huh? Well, here you go. He had it planned all along. He knew exactly what was going to happen. My dad was in control of the situation. He gave me over to it. And you know what? I never did a thing like that again. And it had nothing to do with me being afraid of him or anything else. It was, Matt, you do something like that, here's the consequences. Right? That happened as a shift of my own perspective on my story and an event within it. So when we come into this relationship with God, he wants to continue giving us greater freedom through the new perspectives on things things that happen, wounds that happen, why they happen. But that story otherwise can be an opening. It can be an opening for bitterness. It can be opening for resentment and anger. See, I told you this dude didn't love me. And here's a perfect example. He wanted to kill me. So he stuck me in a garage with this guy, right? So be very mindful of your story. Our identity is in the heart of the Father. We're children of God. What Satan wants is our identity. Identity and purpose, identity and purpose, those are the two things. Satan wants to corrupt that. See, God has a plan for our life and Satan has a plan for our life. My first name is Matthew. It means gift of God. One of the ways God taught me about who I am is through my name and through the meanings of my names. Matthew Otis Simmons. I've never said Otis publicly until now. 
Matthew Otis Simmons. You know what it means? Gift of God, one whom God hears, and one who hears God. Imagine that. My work is that. When I made the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius of Loyola, my director said, Matt, anytime your prayers around water, just stay there. You know who water is? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? The gift. Right? There's a certain closeness I have there that enables me to fulfill the purpose he has for my life, at least here. We all have an identity and a purpose. You know what the one actual gift I have is? I can relate to people. For whatever reason, I understand relationship. And I can help people to open that up if they're willing and encounter God there. You know what Satan attacked throughout my life? Every possible relationship I had that could get me to this place. My dad, my mom, my sister, my friends, all of them. He tried to get me isolated and alone. Like I said, God had a purpose for that. Satan has a plan for our life. God does too. And if we're confused about our identity and our purpose, we need to receive it. And we receive it by being with him. We have to be careful what fruit we eat. Adam and Eve swallowed a lie about themselves that they weren't in God's likeness. Satan said, if you want to be in God's likeness, you got to know good and evil. Once again, no. You got to be intimate with good, which you already are, and evil. Then you'll know. No. You know how I learn more about the evil one? By learning more about the good. The more I see who Jesus is, the more I see who God is, how he is, the more I recognize what is not of him. It's not by focusing attention on the evil one. It's by coming to know who God is. But we all swallow lies in there that shape and tarnish our identity and our purpose. See, I thought I had no purpose. I was worthless, that nobody could ever like me. I even told you earlier, I didn't know someone understand why this cute little girl didn't like me. I I legit didn't believe it. It's all because of lies. When we eat those in, when we drink those in, and we believe them, they will shape everything. But it starts with this truth. And we start engaging this truth and living at, at this truth and acting on this truth. You know what that means sometimes? Sometimes that means God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, and I just don't feel it. And I keep, every time I feel like God doesn't love me, I keep coming there. Every time I feel like I am horrible, I keep coming there over and over and over and over, letting that truth rub up against it. Not with because I need him to change it right now or I'm going to die and I'm not going to be okay and nothing will ever happen, but because I know he will and he wants to in his time. And when it's right, he does. 
there are so many things in my life that I'm really glad God didn't change at the time I wished he would have, because I wasn't ready to receive it. Like I wasn't in a place, like when, when I had my conversion experience, the one I described earlier, like I can honestly look back and say, prior to that moment, had I encountered that, I don't know that I actually would have responded. He knew I would, but I don't know that I would have before that. I might've been, wow, that was a cool high. Boom, I'm back into something else. That felt good, right? He knows he's got that planned, but we keep coming to him. The voice of God whispers our identity to us. In the beginning, God talked to Adam and the Eve face to face in the garden, and he wants to talk to you too and me. This is really important. If there's somebody you know who hears from God, they're not special. They're no more special than you at all. I used to think that about people. And then I got to feel the other side of it where people are like, when well, you hear God, I don't, man. Like I used to say the same thing. <laughs> the only difference between the person who hears from God is they know what God's voice is like. Most of those people read the word, they're in the scriptures, they're in the liturgical tradition of the church, and they pray, and they're in spiritual direction. And the point of having spiritual direction is somebody can help you to hear where these things are. Somebody who's a little bit further on the path and maybe one step and maybe 10 steps, maybe a thousand steps, who knows, but they can help you to hear, right? Because God is a person who's different than us. Like, you know, how long it took, I'm 14 years in with my wife and I still don't know what the bleep she means by half dozen things. I just saw a TikTok earlier that was like, she's more confusing now than she was when we met. <laughs> Almost, you know, her ways are not my ways. My ways are not her ways. And it takes time to learn those ways. There are a few things I know not to say now that I didn't even a few years ago. There's a few things I know I can say or do right at a given moment that will touch her heart too. Because of spending time with this woman, I've come to know her. No different than my friends or my boss or my coworkers. Well, it's the same with God. He's a person, three persons in one. And he has personality and he talks in certain ways and he acts in certain ways. He's actually the easiest person to understand though because he never changes, ever. We do. We're volatile all over the place, crazy back and forth, up and down. But he's consistently stable, steadfast but it takes time to learn about him and who he is. And the more of those lived experiences of being loved by him that we have, and the more we learn his way, the more confident and solid we become in this relationship and the less we desire to depart from it. Right. God whispers our identity to us. Through me, it was through my name once again or other things that he says to me, many times through other people and through different situations. He talked to Adam and Eve and he'll talk to us. This is the biggest grace that God wants to give us right now. 
oh my gosh, I can't even begin to tell you how much I felt this for a long time. There are many saints who said that God, St. Ignatius, God fathered him or taught him as a schoolmaster teaches a schoolboy. He wants to teach you as a schoolmaster teaches a schoolboy or a father teaches a daughter or a son directly. Whenever we're in a place where there aren't a lot of intermediaries that we're hearing him through, he wants to do it directly. And that's the grace he's offering us. If we would just come to him and sit at his feet. After the fall, there's another voice. Discernment of spirits, God's voice, our voice, and the evil one's voice in our head. The question is, is which one are we going to listen to? Who are we going to build relationship with? Are we going to listen, continue to listen to all those stories from the past, our past life that was rough and bad and hurtful and harmful, and just stay focused there? Or are we going to pay attention to what the Lord is saying? The light, the grace, the peace. Where are we going to rest? What are we going to keep our eyes attentive to? Whatever we are attentive to is what we're going to receive. This is why I'm very careful what I do on Facebook. I've gone down the Facebook rabbit hole, the social media rabbit hole, right? That COVID, perfect example. So when I heard about COVID, I had no clue about COVID until the second, third week of March. I'm giving a retreat in Richardson, North Dakota, in the middle of nowhere in Benedictine Abbey. And my wife starts messaging me these videos from this dude who's in Wuhan, an American in Wuhan. Like the world's falling apart. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's all panicking. I'm trying to avoid talking to her on the phone because I'm giving a retreat and it was kind of on one too. It was really a beautiful experience with the Lord that week. But she's like a mess, flipping out, just getting upset. Finally, okay, I'll drive home, whatever. I won't fly overreacting, but whatever, I want to argue with you. So I do, I get home, I'm home for 24 hours. Then I had to go back up to Bismarck for my normal trip. So I go home, I listen to her for 24 hours. I'm just like, psh, 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 I'm leaving in a minute, right? And I don't want to listen to this no more. It's kind of how I am sometimes. And so I do, I leave, I go up there. But I'm starting to think, man, like I just adjusted my plane schedule and everything to drive. Like maybe there is something to this. So throughout the day, she'd feed me this specific YouTube channel with different videos about COVID. And of course, it was right in the beginning. So the world was collapsing and all of us, half of us would be dead in this room, right? So I spent one evening watching these videos one after the other, right? Like four or five hours. I got done work at eight o'clock. I think I stayed up till midnight just watching these things one after the other. Just like a wire that was overloaded going to bed. I wake up in the morning and I was anxious. I'm talking the spring was wound tight and I have not experienced that in a very long time. It's how I used to live my life. I don't anymore. And it was palpable, right? And I sat down. I was like, all right, Lord, I don't even know what to pray with. And Psalm 91 came to mind. It's like, okay. So I did Lexio with Psalm 91. They kept the pestilence. He'll protect you from the pestilence. Immediately on reading that, my heart stilled, right? And I was focused on him. What I was giving my attention to was something that had a lot of fear on it. There was a lot of fear on it. The language, the hype, everything about it was meant to agitate, right? 
And all I did was give my unbroken attention to it. No wonder I felt wound up. Then I give my attention to the Lord and I do everything I'm supposed to do the rest of the time. I'm up there the next three or four days. I left loving my drive home eight hours, nine hours of quiet before I get to the fray of children and wife, right? Based on what I give my attention to. I've gone through times where all day I'm looking at Facebook and my breaks and da, 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 getting wound up, getting overly toxed with all the dopamine and hits I'm getting from my screen. And I'm just like, <laughs> then I do a Facebook fast and within three days, I'm a sane human being again, right? Like whatever we give our attention to is what it's going to be. And so we need to pay very close attention to that. What are we listening to? What are we looking at? Jesus came to destroy the works of hell. Ultimately, that's our purpose too. Jesus came into the dark as a light to shine light in the very spot where he was at. And by worldly standards, he was an utter failure. He hung out with 12 guys. He walked around the same few miles all the time, never really did anything and died. It's one of the reasons the Jews didn't believe, one of the many. He was a light in his place and did precisely what he was supposed to do. That's what every one of our purpose is. And if we stay attentive to him, continuing to bring these old memories, these old things and stay in this place of freedom, then we will shine too. Because here's the thing that most of us don't understand. Like each one of us is a gift. You are a unique, unrepeatable gift that God has given to this world. And the world's a lesser place without you. Just your being. Man fully alive is the glory of God. God became man so that man might become God, St. Athanasius says. You can become like him in relationship with him. Satan's work is always to make us question who we are and who God is, his goodness and our goodness. As a general rule, if you're a person seeking after God, like you love the Lord and you want to be with him, and I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're fundamentally made that decision in your life. The way Satan acts is in negative ways, anxious, disturbed, confused, sad, depressed, lonely, isolated, helpless, hopeless, all those kind of things. God's action is light. It's peace. There's no heavy loads. There's joy. There's freedom. All those things and sorrow for sin. And what I mean by that is like, I'm really sorry that I hurt you. That's not a bad feeling. It's uncomfortable, sure, because it's humbling. But I'm actually sorry that I hurt you because you're worth more than that. That is an enormous consolation. When we're in that place of consolation, that's where we want to stay. That's what freedom is. Now, there's times we can shift out of that and create desolation for ourselves and create issues. We can shift our attention. We can sin. We can not do something we should. There's, a, there's many things we can do to shift out of that. 
But spiritual maturity is really learning how to stay put. It's learning how to stay put. This is why in Ephesians 6, he says, stand and withstand three times. When he says, put on the armor of God, that you may stand. So Jesus announced the reign of the kingdom. He came to establish it and we're meant to embody it. The more we stay with him, the more we will. His mission is our mission, which means to bear fruit, which means to love. And it's not, I'm trying to be nice to you and I'm trying to be loving to you. It's actually the supernatural call of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is not possible for us to do. The Beatitudes are not do attitudes, they're Beatitudes or something we become right? We become that. We become something new. If you even look at your brother angry, how does that jibe up? Does that mean we shouldn't get angry? We might give ourselves a little too many passes on that one. Is it possible for a natural, normal person? Nope. We have all kinds of fallen stuff here. But God doesn't look at us angrily. Remember, mother bear cub versus you crucified me. So I'm mad at you, right? It's a supernatural call. It's something we become. And in that very being, we transform and establish and extend the kingdom. One of the things that happens when people get on mission, when they find freedom is they want to get on mission and go do a bunch of stuff. I've been there, right? Somebody who's newly converted can be really annoying. So they're telling everybody about Jesus, you know, and how much you need him, which is a good thing, but they'd be good to kind of dial that down a little bit and bring it here instead of out here so much right in the beginning, because there's wisdom that needs to come with that. Right. A saint is a saint because of the intimacy and communion they share with the Lord. What they do is a fruit of that. It's a fruit of the intimacy they share. We all understand the phrase, get her done, right? Love it or hate it, we all get it. That's our American culture. That's one of the things that makes us great. We go get stuff done, we go do stuff. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is like playing the game, follow the leader. We're middle management, that's it. I'm in middle management here and it's not fun. I hate being in middle management, quite frankly. Because you don't really have any power to make any decisions except what over my secretary, yay. You know, somebody else has to have a wider mission that I have to get a part of before I can do my function. I can only do what I'm given to do. I don't just go out and try to do my own thing. And if I do, it's not comfortable. It's no different with Jesus. What his will is for us is the deepest desires of our heart. All the desires we have, we need to bring to him to be purified, to find out what that is. The deepest desire of my heart is connection and communion with people. My love language is quality time. You know what my favorite thing to do is? Give spiritual direction and do this kind of work. You know why? Because I connect with people. Right? It's the deepest thing there. 
I like this because I'm connecting in a way with people. Right? Everybody's thing is different. But his will is in those desires. So our mission is to be one with him. And in this place of intimacy, that's where his will comes about naturally. We start thinking as he thinks. We start feeling as he feels. We start wanting what he wants. Then we start doing what he does. Right? And the more we walk out this mission, the more we walk out this relationship, the more solid we become in this communion with him. The catechism says we pray as we live and we live as we pray. The two go hand in hand. I can sit on a retreat all day and oh, bask in the rays of godliness. And then I get home and we see what really happened in my prayer time over the last eight days. Right? Because it's lived out. The two feed each other. We must become good stewards of the authority God has given us. We have authority. We have power in what we say. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, flip that around. I could go home right after this, which I will, and I could go cripple my wife if I so chose. I know a couple things I could say immediately that would probably cripple our relationship for a while. Or there's other things I know I could do within the next 12 hours that I'm not going to want to do, like let her sleep in tomorrow because she was alone with the kids all day today that would do the dead opposite. I make her coffee. I make her some breakfast. I tell her how much amazing she is and how much I love her. All those things would go a long way to building her up. My kids, I can do the same thing. I can build Thaddeus up or I can take him down. I just got a text a little bit ago that they're no longer allowed to play with each other without adult supervision, my two oldest, because they're nasty to each other right now. Because they've been home for five months and now they're being homeschooled. Yay. <coughs> right? I have to think about this. I have to steward the authority I've been given as a father. And when I go home and mom starts telling me all this stuff and I get to interact with my kids surrounding it. Right? In whatever position we're in, we have that power and we don't understand it. You know, I've seen clerks that I say, hey, how are you doing today? And they go from being a hovel mess to, hi. Like nobody talks to them. Nobody talks to the checker at Chipotle. They're like, make my damn food, come on, right? Like we have a power, we have authority. Those words are really important. Those words of blessing or curse and condemnation. We have to steward this authority well. We have to pay attention to it. The last thing I want to talk about here and I'll be done is Satan gets his power from us. This is really important. Adam and Eve gave their freedom to Satan. If you've been prayed with and you're in a place of freedom or you're in a place of bondage, right? If we're in a place of bondage, it's because we gave our freedom to him. If we're in a place of freedom and then we move to a place of bondage, it's because we gave our freedom to him. Satan is like a chained dog. I don't like... I don't like dogs at all, actually, I don't think. Definitely not big dogs or the little, little ones, except for pugs. I like those in Frenchies with the big little bat ears. I don't like loud ones, nasty ones, anything like that. 
I have come across dogs before. If they're chained up and I'm outside their reach, like I will almost die of fright for the moment when they're barking, trying to chew my leg off until I realize, oh, wow, I'm good. <laughs> and I can move on. And I may be shaken up and discombobulated by it a little bit, but I'm safe, I'm okay, right? That's how Satan is. The problem is if the dog comes and barks and stops there and I go, ah, right? I'm gonna get chewed up more than likely because they don't have a conscience. Satan's no different. If we step into his radius, we will get bit. Satan has no conscience and he's an angel, a fallen angel, which means he's way smarter than you or me. We all have a guardian angel. There's also been demons who have been watching you ever since the moment of your conception to figure out how to trip you up. They know the buttons. They know how to deal with your boss to get you to react in a certain way. They can't fully determine it, but they have a pretty good idea. Well, if Demetra says this to Matt, Matt's probably going to go off. So say this to him. Hey, you know what? If we get Matt to say this, then she'll say this, then he'll say this. And oh my gosh, it'll be a fest. We can watch. Sorry. They watch us. They know us. But he's like a chain dog, says St. Augustine. Stay out of his way. Don't believe it when the feelings come with the voices. This is the biggest thing that he does to us today. Our whole culture and world is feelings before reason. It's feelings before anything. Everything out there is to arouse the feelings. Like go to Taco Bell. It's not even food anymore. They've broken that stuff down into base particles and put it together to be the most flavorful thing you can even imagine. I remember when I quit sugar and went to fruit, I'm like this stuff tastes like garbage. Give me some Sour Patch Kids. There's some real flavor, right? Like that, that's what it does. The whole world is there to incite our passions, to keep us at the highest possible thing so that we can be let down and try to get back up and let down. The whole world is ordered towards that. The question is, is can we stay here? Can we stay with him? When those feelings come, can we recognize this is not of God? God does not make me feel afraid. And this thought that I'm not going to make it. Can I recognize that's not of him? I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to keep going. Every time I do an event like this, I already, I knew what was happening by Tuesday when I was having a horrible week. Because every time I do an event like this, particularly surrounding Unbound, I never want to do it. I didn't want to come out here last night. I didn't want to come out here this morning. I didn't want to come back from dinner. It's got nothing to do with y'all. It's the pressure trying to ping me off track. But you know what I know now, because I've been through this enough times, is it will be a nightmare up until I'm done with it. And I'll probably drive home tonight happier in a clam until I have to deal with my kids because they've been 
nasty all day to the mom, right? Like it's life. But this is the thing, Satan has no power. It's only what we give him. Do I give in to the fear? Do I give in to the idea? Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I don't think that's good this week for me to be gone for the weekend. I don't know if they can handle it. If I give in to it, you know what kind of chaos that is? I mean, what if I didn't show up this weekend? Would have been a problem. Would have got through it. I'm not the end all be all by any stretch, but it would have created tension, division, and issues. And I probably would have been a boy and father every other time I saw him in the next few months. Right? That's what he tries to do. So pay attention to that. He's chained. He can't make you do anything. He can scare you into doing it. He can make you feel like it's absolutely correct and true. He, he knows how to put you under the correct type of duress and pressure to get you to do what he wants. But when we're in this place focused on him, we can begin to see that it is him the longer we stay there. So deliverance is a ministry to help other people take back their own power. Any of you who got prayed with today, you did it. You walked through those keys. You forgave people. You repented. You renounced things. You did. In my sessions, the only thing I helped the leader, the only thing as a leader that I helped them do was discover what those things were and assisted them to open their hearts to the degree that they're willing and able. Otherwise, the person does it. It's all them coming before God. And that's really important because every one of us is meant to be, I really don't like the way that a mature Christian, a mature adult does not need mommy and daddy to pay their bills, right? A mature adult can drive themselves to work, can get themselves up. We all know what maturity is. Well, spiritual maturity is very similar. I don't need a pastor, spiritual director, anybody else micromanaging everything I do, telling me what to do. I grow as a Christian, better in discernment, better at seeing, knowing how to act, what to do, who to be, all those kind of things. That's the hope here is that every Christian would become that. Because Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move and it'll move. The only reason that worked for Jesus because he knew unequivocally who he was. He knew the power that was dwelling in him. And faith releases grace. It releases grace. So deliverance is about helping other people take back their own power, their own authority and to continue the mission of the Lord. Because when we have freedom, then we can be joyful, then we can be peace, then we can radiate his love. And in the end, that's the key. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel always if you have to use words. There's some people when I was in focus, they hated that statement because people use that to negate the discomfort of actually telling people about Jesus. The problem is sometimes people start telling people about Jesus, but they're not actually being Jesus at the same time. And that's when it comes together is when those two things are there. The fruits of the spirit are what? I can't list them all off. 
peace, patience, kindness, yada, yada, yada. Think about fruit for a minute. I love fruit now that I've given up sugar. I love it. I love pink lady apples. That's my favorite, right? I love eating them. You know what happens when I eat that apple? I get nourished. You know what else happens? I have to avoid those seeds like the plague because they taste nasty, right? Well, if we are going to plant seeds to people, the best way to do it is to bear fruit and have them eat our fruit. Those fruits of the spirit. When we start embodying that, people want to be around us because what's different about this person? They're peaceful, they're joyful, they're happy, they're kind, they're patient. Man, I want some of that. They're different from all this garbage I see out here. You know what else the reason seeds are covered in fruit for? It's a nice, wet, safe, closed environment for the seeds to start to erupt. Right? It gets them started. So I can go out there and speak the truth all day long. But if I'm not living in intimacy, if my, if my life does not preach the word, if that's the best I can do, that's good. And the, the thing that I've come to see is once I can do that and I live it out, I want to tell people. It's not a fear anymore. It's not uncomfortable. I want to. Because I know what intimacy in life with God is, what freedom in Christ is.